Romans chapter 1 this evening. I'm going to start reading in verse number 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So contextually here, he's going to be addressing from this point on a type of wrath that will hit because of people that do not, that have, uh, who have hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19. Because that, which be, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shewed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, He's been making the case for what's coming now. What, what has been the progression? Verse 24. Wherefore God also hath gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The end result now. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have no pleasure in them that do them. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, Lord, we certainly do love you, and Lord, I pray for your help tonight. Lord, help me to stay one, true to your word. Lord, may everything I say be based in Scripture and on, on Bible principle. So, Lord, protect me from veering from that. Lord, give us understanding. Lord, and also give us wisdom in how to respond in the culture that we are in right now. Lord, we certainly need your help. So, Lord, please control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray that you would use this to strengthen us to be a strong light in the culture that we are in right now. Lord, so I pray for your blessing and your help. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I, cert I certainly do pray for their conversion, that they would repent, 
and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be glorified and honored. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure all of us are aware of the news that is that has just hit with the tragedy in Texas with 21 who were killed, 19 school children. I believe they're all fourth graders and fifth graders, if my memory serving me right from them. I went through, I was pulling up the pictures. I know later today most of their IDs, identifications were released. And even reading up on the one teacher, I'm sure you saw some of the articles about the one teacher who was, who was killed and shot from an 18-year-old, an 18-year-old, heading into the school, um, barricading himself and killing basically any child that was in his way. Um, we still need to be praying for these families. You can think what's going on right now, even as we're speaking in the homes of these 21 families, all 21 of them, but even the 19. Losing your child was something that in your mind is going to make no sense at all. You can't even wrap your head around how this has taken place. And you can just imagine the, the immense grief and pressure that those families are feeling right now. Um, and and we, have a, a, we have a government that really has no clue at how to deal with this. Even if they did know the answer, I assure you they would not take that road. The question is, how do we respond? All right, I want to read a text um, that I received. And, and it's really at this point I decided, I was already debating it, um, but once I got this text, I said, you know what, I need to change gears for tomorrow. I'm going to read this text. I said, okay, give me some words of wisdom concerning this mass shooting in Texas. How in the world can I explain to lost people this was God's will? Number one, it's not God's will. I literally don't know what to say to someone that is angry and bewildered about this. To say God allowed it is not putting it God in a good light in their eyes. I assure you God's not already in a good light in their eyes. They lack understanding of it, but we do need to look at this to see what is taking place and how we do respond. Because that certainly is common. I've seen those you know, in, in the past, including in this current circumstance now, those who hate Christ and hate God or choose to deny Him. And when it comes to something like this, they certainly like to blame Him. But how do we respond? This is nothing new. Obviously, I remember two and a half years ago. If you remember that, our memories are short when it comes to things like this. They really are. Just two and a half, not, yeah, two and a half, almost three years ago, I think it would have been. We had three shootings in one week. California, there were three killed. El Paso, there were 20 killed. Dayton, there was nine killed. February 2018, we had that shooting in, the Florida, in that Florida school. There were 17 killed. Uh, then, uh, then there was the Vegas shooting, of course, with 520 wounded in that, in that event, with 58 died from being shot. And it's interesting, the, you know, this is something we hear about all the time, but I want you to look for a common denominator. I'm going to read some others. Okay, look for a common denominator with the ones I've already given and what I'm going to give. We had the Pulse nightclub in Orlando 2016, 49 were killed. Virginia Tech in 2007, 32 were killed. Sandy Hook Elementary, 26 killed. 
A Texas restaurant in 1991, 22 killed. San Bernardino, 2015, 14 killed. 14 Hood, 2009, 13 killed. Really, I can go on. There's several more, 12 or 13 killed, all between 1999 and 2013. Did you notice a common denominator with all of these that I have brought up? They all have happened in recent times. That is new. The oldest one we have, that's really not necessarily recent times, would be 1991. Other than that, they, all of these have taken place in just the last several years. There's a change in violence. So I think we need to take a close look at what has happened in the last several years to see what has changed. And my goal is to, and I want you to follow this because I want to make you a scriptural argument showing what is taking place. The left, of course, thinks guns are the problem. Guns are not the problem. I can prove it right now. If they're listening to this, we might even cut this segment out and put it on now. I'm going to prove to you right now why guns are not the problem. We're seeing a rise recently in the, in the violence with guns being used. And we have this movement to remove guns. Even today, I read several articles of people actually calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment. Just astonishing. So, what has changed in our culture recently that has allowed the increase in violence like this? What has changed? What's new? Well, one thing we know that is new, and I actually did research it, guns have been in our culture prevalently since the 17th, pretty prevalent since the 17th and 18th century. Matter of fact, probably per capita, there's probably less homes with guns now than there used to be. So, in the last 30 years, what's new is not guns. They've been in homes. That's not new. It's not like all of a sudden, the last 30 years, we have homes with guns and now people are going out killing people simply because they have guns. That's not new. Again, while some well-intentioned people think guns are the problem, they are not what has changed in the last several years. If guns were introduced in the year 2000, that all of a sudden uh, uh, the common citizen can go and buy weapons, we might have to look at that closer. But that's not new. That hasn't changed. So let's, let's look at this not just in guns. Has anything else changed in our culture in the last 20 years? We haven't just seen a rise in shootings. We've seen a rise in violence across the board. We've seen a massive rise, as we all would recognize, in unrest. We've seen a rise in hatred. We've seen hatred between left versus right, black versus white, hatred for police, hatred for authority, hatred for Christians, hatred for God. Suicide rates have launched... When you go back to the 1980s and 90s, they're actually on a downward trend. They have exploded up 125% from a rate just several decades ago. There's also perhaps more than any other time without not counting a major war, just a measure of uncertainty, of fear within our culture. We're seeing rebellion like we've never seen before. 
So it's not just mass shootings. We don't just have one issue taking place. So the issue is not a gun. So what is happening? People often, when it comes to this, like even with this 18-year-old right now, people are trying to dive into a motive. That's a moot point. It is. We forget, and I've, I've said this several times in different sermons, you have to remember, evil can be its own motive. Evil is a motive. And evil at this level, a motive will never give a satisfying answer. Because there is no motive that can explain this level of evil. Such horrible actions, a measure of wickedness and disregard for life in the face of direct innocence in a child. So when we put all this together, we see something certainly is taking place. Something is going on in our culture that is now allowing evil of this magnitude to become common. Where all it needs is just simply the right circumstance and opportunity to present itself. And it's happening. And so our text supplies the answer. It does tell us what we're seeing take place in our nation right now. And so I'm going to give what that is and then I'm going to support it. That's how I'm going to do this. I'm just going to come out and address it and then I will support it from this text. Now, what I want you to do is we're going to look at several, several verses here, a couple of phrases and some verses here. We're going to start off there in verse number 24. I want you to look at this here in verse number 24. It says, Wherefore, God also gave them up. That's the first time. Look at verse 26. It happens again. For this cause, God gave them up unto, and it goes from there. Verse number 28, we see it take place again. God gave them over. It's the same phrase. We have it listed three times. Listen to me. This is what is taking place in our nation. We are witnessing in our lifetime, God is turning us over to ourselves. That's what's happening. God is turning man over to his own wicked heart. His restraining influence is being removed. It reminds me, I'm not going to turn there for time's sake. Time is, with everything we've done here this evening, time is, is short. So some of these texts I'm not going to be able to go to. But if you remember in the book of Judges, when I went through the book, of, when I was trying to memorize, and I did, I memorized the verse in all 66 books. The one that I chose for Judges dealt with Samson. Not because of his strength or anything like that. Um, it, to me, it was the saddest verse of his life. It's when, it's when you know, his, his hair finally got cut. It finally worked. And it says that, that um, when, he, when he arose and he woke, he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. So he thought he had it under control. He didn't even know God left him. Didn't even know it. That's what happened to us. When I preached through Hosea, we got into Hosea chapter 2, and I preached a message dealing with when God had told Hosea, let Hosea know what Gomer was going to do, yet we still have God's restraining influence in the life, actually, of Gomer. God did put roadblocks in place so that she could not actually do all that her heart wanted to do. 
And don't think your heart's better. Our heart is desperately wicked. And when God stops intervening and turns us over to that wicked heart, we're seeing what begins to take place. God just doesn't do that in a vacuum, though. Certain things have to take place in a culture before God ever gets to that point where He says, I'm taking my hands off. Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. When I went through and preached it, I thought it was one of the most saddest statements in the book of Hosea. There's several of them in there. It said, Ephraim is joined unto idols. And then the last three words. Let him alone. What we're seeing God doing is, let him alone. They don't want me. They don't need me. Let them alone. Let's turn them over to their own wicked heart. Let's see what happens when God gives them up. When God turns them over unto their own heart. Let's see what happens. We are seeing the results of the depravity of man's wicked heart without God's restraint, without God's intervention. You can think in your own life, if you have been saved any amount of years, five years, ten years, maybe even just fused one year, you can look back at the times where you saw God's restraining hand on your life preventing you from wickedness that was in your heart. Now imagine what your life would look like if God said, I'm not doing that. All those roadblocks I put in your life, they're gone. Do what you want. Our problem is not a gun problem. Our problem is not a race problem. Our problem is not a drug issue. Our problem is a heart issue. We are seeing the result of man being left to himself without God intervening. And the problem is this. Our heart is desperately wicked. So what is the evidence that I'm right? That what we're seeing take place is God turning us over. I'm going to make the case for that now. Romans chapter 1 again, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let's start there. This is the foundational verse. Now, first, let me discuss this. I think this is important to get to this point so we know what's taking place. God has different types of wrath that he uses throughout Scripture. All right? We have, we have eternal wrath we know about, the lake of fire and hell. That's eternal wrath. That's not what this is dealing with here. We, we have wrath yet to come. We dealt with that with the day of the Lord, eschatological wrath that's going to come, the, great, you know, the day of the Lord, the, the tribulation and, and whatnot. We have cataclysmic wrath, things, uh, wrath of God, like the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that take place. That's a type of wrath. We have, we have the results of what we call actionary or consequential wrath. And that is basically derived from the law of sowing and reaping. Um, but then we have a fifth type that is not only mentioned here, but it's mentioned in other places in Scripture. I'm only going to turn to one, but this certainly isn't the only place that deals with it. And this is the wrath of abandonment. This is the wrath that, that gets unleashed because of man's own wicked heart, just from God saying... Do it your way. That's a form of wrath from God. Of saying, let's see, how, let's see how your wicked heart actually does this. I do want to go here. Go to Psalm chapter 81. I want you to see this in other places besides Romans chapter 1. 
there always comes a time when God says, um, um, if, when he pleads and he sends his prophets and he says, no, this is not right, stay. Don't turn to other gods. Don't turn. Stay close. But if the, if the rebellion stays persistent, the rebellion stops, it gets to a point. Look at verse 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. That's what we're seeing happen right now. That's what's taking place right now in the world. And particularly in the United States of America, we're certainly not alone with this, especially with how small the world has become. We are seeing God turning men over to their own wicked hearts. Eight, verses 18 through 24 is laying a foundation for it here. We saw it in verse 18 when it deals with those who, held, who knew the truth, but they held it in unrighteousness. In other words, there was knowledge of what was right, of what was true, of the true God, but it didn't change them. They held to their sin in spite of truth, ignoring what is right, choosing their own way because men love darkness rather than light. Even though they had the truth there, it was evident from it. Notice what 7, verse 19, he goes to them, he said, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. What's he dealing with there? Listen, and I don't care who you are, all the 6 billion or 7 billion, whatever we're up to now, on this earth, God has in the heart that moral conscience, that conviction. That's from the Creator. That's where you know whether something is right or wrong. It's not, it doesn't come as a product of evolution. When you do something wrong, lost or saved, it doesn't matter. And you're like, ah, it wasn't right. That's screaming to you, Creator. But they chose to, they chose to ignore that. Of, this, of, of God sovereignly putting in man's heart a moral law. Look at verse 20. It wasn't just that. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. What he's doing, he's saying, what God is laying the case here for, like I've already said, this isn't in a vacuum when I'm going to do this, when I turn man over. it's, it's It's not like God looks forward to this. He desires a culture to repent. He says, for the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Of course, this dealing with God and creation like Psalm 19 talks about. Yet they ignored and they rejected. And we talk about this. I mean, I mean now we, we see the rise in atheism. I happened to deal with it last week. The rise in, in agnostics or just living as practical atheists. Or the rise even in polytheism and the rise in pantheism and just anything other than God. Yet it's, it's, it's incredible when you think about it. You can look at creation. It screams creator. It, it, it screams wisdom. We talked about it last week just in Genesis 1.1. How it has the very answers to, to the crucial questions science are trying to look for of, of, of how we got here. Of dealing with time, space, and matter. I mean, think about that. I mean, those have to come into existence at the exact same time. There's only, there's, only one, there's only one book in the world that has the exact answer for how that took place. Because remember, if you have matter, you have to have somewhere to, you have to, have somewhere to put it. If you have matter, that means there's a start to something time-wise. 
You have to have time, space, and matter. They have to exist at the exact same time. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth matter at the exact same time. And within that, he showed his triune self, which is just astounding. It is time, past, present, and future, a trinity. You know, you can look, you can look at space, length, width, and height, a trinity. You can look at, you can look at matter uh, um, from solid, liquid, and gas, a trinity. Everything speaks of a creator, yet when a culture just chooses to deny it, to look at the stars, to look at the ocean, to look at the mountains, and deny a creator, it gets to a point where God has had enough. Verse 21 then. It says because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Oh, we know there's a God, but we're choosing not to put you in your place. We'll be God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And now you think of this. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's exactly what's taking place. Those who are considered the intellect of our day are defined as a fool before God because they deny the very Creator. So this is the process that's going to lead to God turning us over. We've seen it happen in our own nation. They had the knowledge of God, but they chose to abandon Him. They didn't let God be God. They were not thankful for the Creator. Their foolish heart was darkened. It goes on how they ended up turning from God unto idols and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I mean, it's crazy. He's saying, listen, they've actually left the idea of a creator. And they began to worship humanism themselves. They began to attribute deity to different things, to idols, worshiping money, worshiping pleasure. Or like we looked at last week, the Alaska legislator praying to, what was it, a Norwegian god? Which one was it? Odin. Yes, the Norwegian god has created all this. Let's pray to him for help. How foolish. So we've seen all this take place in our own nation. Now, here's what God does next. When that takes place, look what he says. Notice the progression here. Wherefore. So now I'm going to make the case. We've seen this. There's nobody that can argue that that has happened, that we are a nation that knew God, that held truth. We held it in unrighteousness. We decided we wanted to be God. We chose humanism. We chose our intellectualism over God and over the Creator. We began to deny the Bible. We began to deny the truth. We did it. We wanted things our way. We didn't want to be told what to do. So what does God do? Wherefore, also, wherefore God also gave them up. So here's what God does first up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So here's the first piece of evidence that is supporting what God has done. And that is sexual immorality. Listen, the United States of America, going back to the late 50s, especially going into the 60s, went through a sexual revolution. 
We can pinpoint when this one took place. When God turned us over to our own heart. When it, he, that's what God's doing with their sexual immorality. He says, all right, the first thing I'm going to do when this is taking place and you're denying me and you're denying me and you're turning over to your intellectualism and your humanism and you're denying me, there's a revolution that's going to take place. It's going to be a sexual revolution. And that's what the sixties was all about. We don't want any restraints with this. We want to do what we want to do. We saw that take place. People began to believe the lie. The devil won an enormous victory. The foundation being laid in the 19th century, especially the turn of the 20th century, and by the 1950s, it was just about taking hold of. And that was the idea of relative morality. That was the idea that your morals are relative. That they're not absolute. To come to that conclusion, you have to ignore God completely. You cannot come to a conclusion that morals are relative and believe in God, because as I've always said, if there is a God, think it through, there are absolutes. No way around it. We don't get to determine what's moral. The Creator does. But as soon as the culture believed we get to determine our own morality, we started a massive downward trend. Morals are not relative. They're absolute. Because there is a Creator. So God turned us over to our sexual immorality. Beginning in the 1960s, free love. No restrictions, no guilt. That has taken place already. Let's see, it continues. Verse 25, let's look at the second piece of evidence. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, who worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause, here God turns you over again. For this cause, God gave them up unto now vile affections. It's went to a different level now. What, what happens here? For even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the man, having, uh, leaving the natural use of the woman, um, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving themselves, the recompense of their error which was meat. So here we have this one taking place now. We had the sexual revolution take place in the 60s, and now this revolution that God turns a culture over to is a homosexual revolution. First, it starts off with that, and then the next thing God says, listen, this isn't changing. He turns you over to your own vile affections. In other words, he removes another roadblock. That's all he does. He removes another roadblock. To, to all this, you can see how twisted the thinking is of men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning the lust one towards another. Are you kidding me? We have seen this began taking place, really, the foundation in the late 70s and 80s, but for the most part, just in the last 15 to 20 years. It's a norm now. It's in place. Listen, this is coming right... Look what he's saying here. I'll turn you over first to your immorality. That, that happened. Then I'm going to turn you over to vile affections dealing with homosexuality. That has happened. Right now, the only one who's in sin, in our, as our culture views it, would be me preaching that homosexuality is sin because it's sin. Well, what happened? How do we get there? Because we decided that morals were relative. That we as a culture get to determine what's right and wrong and not the Creator because we don't want to recognize the Creator. We want to hold the truth in unrighteousness. It gets to a point, God says, you know what? This roadblock's gone. First was the sexual immorality. Oop, that's gone. By the way, how did the divorce rate start going once that took place in the 1960s? 
kids growing up in broken homes. Then, as we see here, we had the homosexual revolution take place. And then we have the third piece of evidence, because it describes what a culture then looks like when God has turned it over to itself. When left alone by God. What does that culture look like? That's, let me go to verse 28. It starts in verse 29, the description. It says, And when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now he gets into the description. Once this is in place, God has turned them over. This is what it looks like when man is left to his wicked heart, left alone. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. It is describing our culture. Only thing God did was remove the roadblocks because we chose, not, we, we chose ourselves over Him. We didn't want Him. It gets to a place every time where God says, you know what, I'm turning you over. It gets to the time where man's heart is similar to Genesis chapter 6, where man's heart and imagination is only evil continually. We are seeing what happens when God leaves us alone without His restraining force because of the wickedness of man, because evil is its own motive. We need God in our culture. We need that, the, the idea of a creator. We need that in our schools and being taught to our kids that one day you're going to be in judgment for an almighty God. You're not a product of evolution. There is value in life. So, let me try and bring this in. I, I know it's late. Let me, let me try and bring this in, though, to the main thing I'm going to get. I'll cover this quickly. So, where is God in all of this? We live in a sin-cursed earth. We are sinful people. There is nothing happening, as you saw me just go through Romans chapter 1, that the Creator Himself has not warned against what will take place. Sin no way was God's will. This is the result of a sin-cursed earth and sin-filled people that have decided to turn from God, a culture that has decided we don't want God's influence on our culture. We can handle this. We have humanism. We have our intellect. We can do this. We can govern ourselves apart from you. No, we can't. Our heart is desperately wicked. As man turns from God, evil will rise. God is not pleased with the evil. What he desires is for men to repent and to turn to him. He is the solution, not the problem. 
He's the one that if a culture would go back to, well, things would change. Do you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, if you've read a, a, a biography on Livingston in Africa, how many have read a biography on his life? Fascinating. When they were trying, it was so hard to locate this guy. All right? I mean, he got, he got a little bit off direction at the end, but I'm not going to get into that. I think he did some amazing stuff. But you want to know how they were able to track him down? Because there's no phone system. They had to figure out where was he in this continent. By the villages and cultures changed is what they followed to get to him. I'm not kidding. That's how they would find him. They would see a village, and think about that, by the way, because that's even against some of the modern-day missionary teaching that's given to missionaries. Don't change the culture. i got news for you. If you're in a demonic culture with spiritualism, it better change. What in the world? So they would head in, and they would see a changed people. They would give them, which way did he go? Well, we had word, he headed to this region. They go to that region. They're changed. Which way did he go? Until they finally caught up with the guy. The fact is, when God is the sinner of it, he changes cultures. It changes. He's the answer to this. Too often people blame God for something he's never promised or even warned us over and over. This is what will take place. Sin leads to suffering, it leads to shame, it destroys, it brings death. This is not a surprise. You can't change that any more than you can change gravity. They can't legislate out the consequences of sin. And don't forget this, God has been intervening in great ways still. We have God's word. We have God's Spirit. God is still showing mercy and grace every day. He's the answer. And one day, He will set everything in order. Evil will no longer reign. Like we talked about last week, one day, man's day is over with. But the great thing is this, don't forget this, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We're going to get this soon in the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there for time's sake. I'm, we're going to be there soon in Paul's missionary journey. But I want you to read something because Paul, in a vile, wicked culture, said this in Acts chapter 14. He said, uh, which then when the, uh, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard uh, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? This is when they were worshiping them and they, they were calling them Jupiter and they thought they were gods, uh, Barnabas and Paul. And Paul says this to him, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made the heaven and the earth and the sea, goes right to creation, and all things that are therein, who in times past, now get this, suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, here's the hope, he left not himself without witness. There's still hope in a culture that's been turned over to its own self. We're the hope right here in Anchorage, Alaska. He goes on, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And, and, and with these sayings, scarce retrain, restrain the people that they should, uh, had not done sacrifice unto them. This is where they, again, remember, they, you know, 
they're dropping down thinking Paul and Barnabas are gods. Look what's happened. Look at the power these men have. And Paul's like, no, 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 wait, you got this so wrong. And he introduces them to the true God, the Creator, who's been showing mercy even in their idolatrous, wicked, vile culture. He said, listen, He has provided for you, He's taken care of you until this day. Now He's given you a witness of Himself. Who is the witness in our culture? This, it is us. It's you. We are to be the light in this world. The world is dark, so your light should shine brighter. Don't turn your light off. D- listen, and don't think, and, and, and this is for all of us, myself, we don't have to justify God. God is the answer. People need to see the hope that is within us. They need to see we have an anchor for our soul during this time. Certainly don't be like those in Luke. We won't turn over time. Take, I'll be done here in just about two minutes. Luke chapter 13. Remember, uh, um, in Luke chapter 13, the disciples talking about uh, this, when the towers fell. And, you know, they must have been great sinners. We love to say that, don't we? When judgment falls. Boy, look, what sin did they have? And Christ reminded them they, they are sinners as well. Don't get all judgmental. We're the ones with the answer, with the light of the gospel. We are the ones, do you understand, the same wicked heart that's in your lost neighbor is in you. Do you understand that? I simply have God's grace that I've heard the gospel. You're to be that light. As Paul said in Romans chapter 1, by the way. Know what else he said in Romans chapter 1? Let me finish with with Romans chapter 1. Let's go back to Romans 1. He gave the answer. This is what he said. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The answer is in the gospel. It is the answer to what has taken place in cultures that have turned from Him. We have the answer. So therefore, one, we need to be praying, we need to be right, we need to be close to God, we need to recognize our position as light and as an ambassador for Christ. It's our role. Don't get caught up in all this, all this of the world to what affects you, to where your response is similar to that of the world. We have the answer. So what we're seeing take place isn't a gun problem, it's a heart problem. It's a result of a culture that's continued to turn from God. And as we saw the evidence of God, so the first thing they do is I turn you over to your immorality. He did that in the 60s. Then he says, next thing I want to do is I'm going to turn you over to your vile affections, a homosexual revolution. We've already seen that take place. The end result is what he describes in verse 19. We're there. We're there. But we still have the answer in the gospel. With heads bowed and eyes closed.